Welcome into the PFF NFL Daily. Sam Monson here, joined by Tom Pelissero, superstar media media guy. You know what I've noticed? How long have you lived in in the U.S. now? 2017, summer 2017. I feel like you've lost your entire accent. Oh, yeah. You sound Gone. like you grew up in Cincinnati. Yeah, it's 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 bad. <laughs> I, there's a there's a show that does NFL stuff from Ireland, and they were like, you know, it's it's actually a help now having the Irish accent. Like everyone thinks it's great, it's like a gimmick. And I was like, yeah, right as I lose mine completely, it's of no benefit to me. Doesn't doesn't exist anymore. I'm just some just some other American talking about football. But it's good because now it looks like you can turn it on anytime you want to. No, no, I can't though. It's just gone. It's disappeared. I don't have it anymore. It's, it's I can do an Irish accent if you need me to. Oh, just let me know. Me. Nope, not doing it. No? No. Okay. Terrible. All right. I want to talk to you about the coaching hires and the carousel and all that kind of stuff. In particular, let's start with what the hell are the Houston Texans doing? They had an interesting search. Again. Again. Uh, I mean, two years in a row, they've had the surprise hire. Yeah. And essentially the last hire in the cycle, since it was the same day as yeah. uh, the Saints hiring Dennis Allen. Really, they did run a broad search. They spoke to a lot of different types of candidates, a lot of outside candidates. And in the end, they looked inside and promote Lovey Smith. For weeks, even though Jonathan Gannon was definitely in the mix, they definitely were interested in Kevin O'Connell until the Vikings zeroed in on him and will eventually hire him. It appeared to be Josh McCown's job. Yeah. Everything was tracking toward they're going to hire Josh McCown, even though he had never coached above the high school level, even though there would be some level of criticism, scrutiny, whatever you want to call it. Then Brian Flores, who was also a candidate there, filed his class action lawsuit alleging right. uh, racial discrimination in hiring practices. And it was around that same time that Lovey Smith's name for the first time came up in the building as a head coaching candidate. So they know Lovey Smith. They respect him. He's somebody that I talked to another head coach yesterday who was like, I'd hire Lovey Smith as the head coach. I mean, this is a guy that people in the league respect. But to the extent that when they fired David Culley, the idea was get a younger coach, probably an offensive mind, to grow with the team that's going to be building here, grow with Davis Mills as the quarterback. You end up with another 60-something year old guy whose expertise is not offense right and you're going to have to figure out can you put all these other pieces around them to be able to have successful with the team that again still has a long way to go in terms of team building from the outside it looks like two years in a row they've kind of started this thing off and they've got these you know dreams and hopes and aspirations of this is the kind of coach we're going to go for we're going to get the you know have the broad search we're going to zero in on this great candidate and then it's like the music stops and there's only one chair left and somebody else jumps in it and they just end up grabbing a stopgap for a year. And yeah, he was the guy last year and now it's Lovey Smith. I think it's a little bit different because David Culley was you know, on the verge of retirement at that point. And even though his name had come up for years from the Fritz Pollard Alliance, uh, from you know Troy Vincent and the list that the league puts out too, probably regarded differently. Lovey Smith at least has been in the league. He's sure. Coached 11 seasons in the NFL. He's made the playoffs three times. He went to a Super Bowl. He's obviously got a long track record there. And he's been a part of the program. Nick Casario and those guys have been around him on a daily basis mm -hmm. and believe you have the opportunity to win with them. So even though you would say the profile in terms of age is similar and also in terms of how likely it was when the thing began that they were going to get a head coaching right. job, also very similar because he would have said infinitesimal, not even on the radar. Um, but they are a little bit different. And you have somebody now who was at least a veteran coach. You retain Pep Hamilton to you promote him to offensive coordinator. You retain the special teams coordinator Frank Ross. Lovey will still call the plays on defense. You have continuity with a team that 
even though David Culley got fired, probably overachieved in the win column yeah, absolutely. in 2021. How much are they actually going to grow? Is this a long-term plan with Lovey Smith? Probably not. But again, this is where they landed amidst a very unique environment right now, and they're going to make the best of it. How much of this is Nick Casario um, and kind of the degree to which he exerts influence on the coaching side of things, as well as the general manager and the personnel and all that kind of stuff? Like, are they looking for just the right candidate to work with him? Are they looking for the, the kind of candidate that will accept the level of influence he wants to have on the organization? Well, that's a factor. Take Brian Flores, for instance. Brian Flores has a long relationship with Nick Casario going back to their days together in New England. These guys are friends. They know each other. But is Brian Flores going in to walk into a situation where the general manager is very much in charge, especially since everything that came out in Miami and, you know, right, wrong or indifferent, however you want to slice some of the, the reports, certainly there was a dynamic there of who's in charge, interpersonal dynamics within the building. Is that going to be the right fit with Nick Casario? You had younger coaches like Jonathan Gannon, who's an up and coming guy with the Eagles defensive coordinator, uh, who also has a relationship with Nick Casario. Could that have potentially been a fit in another world? Maybe. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's true any building. You need the GM and the coach to fit together. Now, are there a a lot of general managers who are on the headset during games right probably not but that's something that nick was used to in new england the dynamic there was different because bill is very much in charge he's getting input from nick as opposed to now it's nick talking to a person who he's the boss yeah. of that's where some of that stuff shifts but you know that's that's how they decided to set up the program nick casario is one of the highest paid might be the highest paid first time gm ever yeah. in the nfl and he's got a six-year contract and he wields a lot of influence in the building that that moment or that report where it came out that he was in the headset during games was the thing to raise an awful lot of eyebrows well everybody knew that though because again sure, he was doing it in new england right, he was in training public. camp he was jumping in to drills yeah. and showing guys how to do drills that's abnormal for a yeah. gm but nick's background is also abnormal because he was a coach right as in as well as working in personnel in new england but that's just a funny thing there, yeah. were, there were a lot of people that were kind of like well you know everybody has a guy in their headset now telling so yeah but it's there's a very big difference it's your boss just somebody in the organization right. versus the gm who you right. work for being in your and when that guy says you know now's the time we should go for it on fourth down do you even have the authority to say no like overrule him during the game that was that was a really interesting revelation that they've kept that you know while he got promoted to the and that GM. was part of what what ended up with david cully out too right was there was a situation late in the year and you might remember this one but i want to say it was like a fourth and seven on the plus side of the field so like mm -hmm. the 40-yard line or something the other team jumped off side so they could have had fourth and two like the 35 yeah and cully decided to decline the penalty and punt anyway which is right. like the lowest percentage analytic thing you can do there are a bunch of game management things like that in in-game communication stuff that ultimately led them to not stick with david cully who really coming in was a short-term plan it was probably a two-year plan not a one-year plan but, but again to go back to your original point now you're with Lovey Smith, who is that a long-term plan? He's a different coach. He's more established. Um, you know, he's he's won in the league. Yeah. So you're going to see if this is going to be different. The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. In honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving new customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in New York, meaning you can bet from almost a third of the country. 
If Sportsbook isn't in your state yet, play DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest for Super Bowl 56. New customers can get a free shot at $1 million top prize with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use promo code PFF, and get 56 to 1 odds on either team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code PFF at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56. Must be 21 or older. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. And the number gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. So I'm interested generally with the the whole coaching carousel and the searches and how these things happen. And when we work with teams, you sort of understand very quickly there are 32 different ways of doing things. There's 32 different levels of competency in whatever area it is you're talking about. From your position as you know an NFL insider, how do these kind of coaching searches function? Like how do they, you go, okay, we've got rid of the coach, we're clearing house, Start. What's the blank sheet of paper? Where? How do we go from here? The first thing you have to understand is every team is going to have its own criteria. Every team is going to come into the search looking for different qualities, and there's right. not a, a one-size-fits-all type of a, a profile that you're looking for. Uh, additionally, every team runs their process differently. And so this year we had far less, if any, search firm involvement. A lot of times, uh, you know, Jed Hughes or one of the other, you know, Corn Ferry, one of those search firms is going to be taking a very central role. But you had situations like Chicago where Bill Polian mm-hmm. was one of five people in the room on those interviews. Uh, you had had situations like with uh, Denver and Minnesota where they had a lot of people in the interview process. And I think that that's one thing that as we talk about the broader issue of um, the racial makeup of NFL head coaches, one thing that has to be examined in my personal opinion, not speaking for the league, just speaking for myself, is the makeup of the people in the room. Because every person in corporate America will tell you if you have a diversity of opinion in the room and a diversity of people in the room, you're probably going to have better processes for the candidates you select. Not that if you have 10 people in the room, you're going to select a black coach and if you have three you're just like the white coach right. but you maybe have different ways of looking at things that you might start at one place and you're actually open to different ideas the broncos had i want to say seven to ten people in all their interviews wow. the vikings were bringing in when they did patrick graham and jim harbaugh at the end they had every single part of the organization you met with three people from this department five people from this department it was like an all-day thing and then they would gather feedback on the different people, see how this works. You have somebody like Jim Harbaugh in, becomes pretty apparent, this probably isn't gonna work. This is not what we're gonna do. And by that night, they decided to hire Kevin O'Connell. So you have other teams, you know, the Jaguars had three people. It was Shad Khan, Tony Khan, Trent Baalke. The Giants have three people and they're all family members. That's not to say again that they selected the right or the wrong coach, but it's just, I think that it's interesting and something you have to examine here. If you've got, frankly, three white guys in the room, right? what are the odds that they're going to hire another white guy versus if you have 10 people of diverse backgrounds in the room, potentially could you land someplace else? And also if they're the same guys that are drawing up the shortlist in the first place, like what are the candidates? You have no checks and balances at all. So, you know, I think there's a bunch of interesting ideas that have been brought out and I know that they, um, 
you know, Roger Goodell met with the Reverend Al Sharpton and some other civil rights leaders. They were saying, replace the Rooney rule. Uh, again, my personal opinion, I think that there is something to that in terms of this year, maybe more than any other, it felt like there were more interviews that were being done because they had to be done. Right. And that's not to say everyone's just go, okay, first coach, we're just going to go get that guy. And it's like college where it's just you pounce immediately upon somebody. But maybe by changing up the process and maybe by examining the way that lists of coaches and candidates are made and looking at who's on them, that may redirect you. There's a lot of really good young people of color who are coaches in the NFL down all the way through the coordinator ranks to the position coach ranks to quality control guys. Everybody brings up one thing I do every year. I write an up and coming coaching list. I do it late in October, early November when things are kind of ramping up. And this year I ran my list by all the head coaches I know in the league. And it was very interesting how many people were like, I've got this young guy who's a quarterback's coach, defensive backs coach, whatever, who I wasn't even familiar with. Right. And so I'm like, okay, that's a really interesting name. He's not going to get a job now. He might get one five years down the line. Being able to identify that, they talk a lot about the pipeline. It's also about making sure you're focusing on the right people in the pipeline and not merely going, well, this person, you know, Eric Bieniemy's kind of become the face of it. Yeah. Eric Bieniemy hasn't gotten a job. Why not? Okay. That's one issue, but let's look at the broader thing here of making sure the best candidates, whoever they may be, are getting in the room, getting in the room early and being like some of the young offensive coaches that we see in their 30s get head coaching jobs in the NFL. I think that's a great point. Tom Pelissero, superstar media insider and former editor of the uh, the Sam Monson Weekly Vikings column. We appreciate at, at ESPN Twin Cities, which no longer exists, <laughs> you writing those columns for that's 50 bucks a week uh, yeah, yeah, throughout the, the season. The You're the best, man. Thank you, sir. Appreciate Thanks, yeah. Yeah.